Welcome to Stories Without Boundaries, a podcast by Profile Your World. And I'm the cat. Meow. We're here on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia, mate. And today, our guest is Brian Coulter, or Brino. And Brino lives on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland with his family and runs a business called Saltwater Ecology. And this podcast tells the story of Brino's life, growing up in the beautiful Yarra Valley in Victoria, Australia, and moving to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and tells a story of Brino's life working with Steve Irwin at Australia Zoo across 17 years into his new business, Saltwater Ecology. Welcome, Brino. G'day, Dale. Well, welcome back to episode two. Thank you. And those who haven't heard episode one, get back and listen to it, guys, because you're, you're missing a lot. You're missing the first part of what happened. Anyway, we're talking today about um, your – obviously, you grew up in the Yarra Valley in Victoria, and then you, um, you post-school, spent um, a few years working on a um, dairy cattle farm in Gippsland. That's right, yep. Surfing the coast with your mates. Yep. And um, doing your studies in, in – um, in land management or animal management? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then um, you decided at some point to come to the Sunshine Coast from Victoria, of all places. What made you come north to this beautiful environment you live today? Well, when I was quite young, it was about 1980, um, my dad got posted up to, uh, to southeast Queensland. He used to work for, uh, for Telecom, which is now Telstra, and back then – there was a huge uh, growth around yeah, the southern Gold Coast area. People were waiting a whole year to get their phone on when they built a new house. So so Dad was a part of a task force. A year? A well, year. Get a, get People a phone. Waiting. Yeah, that's right. The old landline, the old ring up. Yep, that's mm. right. And so Dad got sent with a, um, a whole group of um, of his mates up to um, to Queensland, so around the, around the Gold Coast, Tweed Valley, and we moved up here with him. And so the family. All family, yeah, the whole family moved up there, up there for uh, for quite a few months, almost a year, and I, I, re- I guess that was that time that I really sort of fell in love with uh, with Queensland. Okay, so up here with with family, with a project, then they went back south after that. That's right. Yep. And you said, "Not for me, mate. I'm staying here." Oh, you went back there, didn't you? you yeah, yeah, there. yeah. We went, went back there, yeah, because I was, I was only very, very, very young at the okay. time. But I remember um, a few years later, Dad got. Um, Asked for another to, to to come again, but with our, our family circumstances, it just didn't quite fit at the time. So he had to decline the offer. And I remember being quite quite um, upset at the time because uh, I really really enjoyed our, our time um, up up in Queensland you know, as, a, as a very young. young so the man. Gold Coast, what part of the Gold Coast were you, uh, were you around, hanging out? Around uh, Kingscliff, Tweed Heads, very um, nice, Cool and Gatter, Burley. No, not not no. Currumbin. Currumbin, yeah. Spent a bit of time in Currumbin, yeah. yeah. And, and we we moved around like every every um every couple of months. Yeah, they'd sort of move in. They'd get everybody's phones hooked up and 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 switched on, and then they'd get moved into the next next area. You must have just love the surf and the talent up here, mate. Hey, well, I was only a very very young man, but I definitely loved How the beach. How old were you when you say young man? Oh, so it was in in the very early 1980s. So okay, so I would have only been oh, nine. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. So you, you're a young lad. Just very young. Yeah. So that set your taste for the um. That's right. Yeah. Queensland. So if we go fast forward now to working on the farm down there in your job, Gibbsland. Yep, that's right. So what what decided what made you move up to here and so I'm going, I'm going heading up, heading up north now. I'm moving north. That's it. Okay. So um, when I was in in high school, 
Uh, I did really well at outdoor education and I, I won a scholarship to do a, a challenge course with uh, Outward Bound. Mm. So it took me a few years to, to get around to doing that because I, I was so busy with, with my work on the farm and I did it and it was an amazing, amazing um, trip. Part of that, that trip <coughs> excuse me, was a four-day solo. So they dropped us in the middle of the bush, in the middle of nowhere um, with a little sheet to sleep under and minimal food and and uh, they, they left us there about two or three k's apart. Somebody checked on us, just came past and give them the thumbs up. But uh, you're just sort of there by yourself. And uh, I guess it was during that time you had a lot of time to sit there and think that I sort of decided that um, um, I think I might, might move to Queensland. So when I got back down to the farm, I um, was milking the cows one morning and I said to the boss, it was a lovely guy, I might, uh, might uh, move to Queensland. And he said, Oh, right. Uh, when were you thinking about that? <laughs> and I said, oh, well. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, well, I kind of need to replace you. Do you mind hanging around for a bit longer? And I said, yeah, sure. So I think I hung around for another couple of months um, until he was able to get someone else to come and well, mm. train them up and that sort of sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so then, then I left. And uh, first of all, I went down down to Torquay and had a bit, a bit of a send-off with all my mates. That was around um, – around uh, December, December 1994, and we had had a great time. Um, my younger brother caught up with him. We went down to the Falls Festival in um, in Lawn. So we saw uh, the 1995 New Year's out at the Falls Festival and had a great time with mates surfing around um, around Bell's Beach and Janjuk and Winky Pop places like that. And then I, um, I gunned the old Falcon station wagon <laughs> straight to Queensland in one day. Packed her up, yep, really. Packed her up, 18 hours it took me. Yeah, straight, straight through. One, one. Where did you work. land? Where did you land? I landed in Beerwa at my uncle and auntie's, and ah. uh, as you can imagine, I was pretty exhausted after driving that whole way. It's pretty stupid, really. But what um, age were you then? Twenty-one. Yep. Twenty-one years. Fresh. Of age. Fresh. Yeah. yeah. Just arrived. The, the old Falcon. Yeah. Sat on one hundred and ten the whole way <laughs> up the Newell <laughs> Highway. Yeah. Wow. No problems yeah. at all there in the no, machine. No worries. It's quite hot. Yeah, being um, being early early January. But uh, yeah, it was. It was great. Well, that stage, you were an adventurer, weren't you? Adventurer, you 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 knew you were out out and about, you know. Yeah, well, I planned. I planned to, to go travel. That was I had didn't have too much of a plan, but my plan was just to go travelling. And uh, my cousin Jody, she lived in in Caloundra at uh, at Kings Beach, and uh, and she was a she's a year younger than me, but she's a lot like uh, like a sister. Growing up, we we're always very very close, and and uh, I rang her and I said. Uh, I'm coming up to Queensland. Do you mind if I if I stay with you for a bit? And she said, "Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Great to have you." A couple ya. of years, mate. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it all became a bit of a joke because um, we ended up, um, you know, with also with her with her husband Lawrence. We ended up, um, yeah, renting for for quite a few years all together and living all together. Wow. The, the, the group of us, which was great. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, you had obviously family up here, which made it you know comfortable to integrate into. To um, the sunny coast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jodie, like, as I mentioned, is like a sister, and and her it was her boyfriend Lawrence, and then became her husband. Is also one of my best mates. So yeah, yeah, that's the awesome. Three of us got along yeah. really well together. Yeah. And um, were you cashed up when you arrived, mate? Did you, did you bring some cash? From I Victoria? was. I was because um, working um, down on the farm and living you know um, out in the middle, middle of nowhere didn't really have a. a a lot to spend your money on, so I was pretty cashed up. I was um, I was earning a, a pretty decent sort of a sort of a wage on the farm there, so I had plenty plenty of money um, in, in the bank for for rent and um, 
and yeah, my overheads were, were very, very minimal. I didn't have, um, never had a credit card. I, I owned my car. Um, I didn't didn't have a great deal of possessions. I had a, a swag and a surfboard and a few clothes, and that's about it, really. And the machine. Yeah, and yeah. the old the old uh, Ford. So for the first bit of time, you just hung out and, and you um enjoyed the the surf and the environment. That's right. Yep. Yep. And uh, did you get? When did you decide to get back into into the workplace? Did that, did that well, soon after or? Well, my uncle, um, J.D.'s uh, father, he did a job out at the Queensland Reptile Bar. He's a bricklayer. He built some um, some enclosures for, for Steve Irwin out there. And uh, he was telling my mum about this little uh, wildlife park called um, the Reptile, Queensland Reptile Park. And, uh, and mum thought that um, me you know, being a lover of animals and nature, that might be a good place for me to go and um, check out. So... I went down there, I rang them up and asked if they had um, any, any uh, work going and they, they said they could, I could come and have an interview. And, and that's, they, that's the Queensland Reptile Park, which is now Australia Zoo. That's right, yep. yep. Okay. Yep. So I went down there and they said that they didn't have any, any work right now, but um, I could do a bit of volunteer work if, if I wanted to, to, to check the place out. And, um, and so I did. And, and when I got to the, the car park, there was this guy – they're hobbling around the um, the car park with a bandage around his thigh, and uh, <laughs> and I said to because uh, I knew they had a lot of crocodiles and other dangerous animals there. I said to the lady, "Oh, what happened to that guy?" And she, I said, "Did a crocodile get him?" And she said, "Oh no, he um, stuck a chainsaw in his leg." And um, and Not then, trained in chainsaws, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. Then this this um, quite a quite a character walked up to me and grabbed my hand and and, and shook it vigorously and introduced himself as, as Steve Irwin. Oh, did he? In the, near the car park when he came in? Yep, yep, yeah. What did he say? Hello, I'm a Steve Irwin, mate. Yeah, because he saw me having the interview with um, you know, this, this young lady there and right. he uh, shook my hand and uh, said, G'day, I'm Steve Irwin. I own this turnout. I yeah. said, okay. I own this turnout. I, and, I thought, and, and then what did he say then to you? Come on in. Yeah, good luck, yeah. And, and off he went to, to uh, do something else and I remember being sort of quite, quite taken by him. I thought this guy was a bit of a character. So was he animated and was he was he an energy bubble then? He, he was, was, yeah, def- definitely, yeah. I thought yeah. this guy was definitely a bit of a character. So back then, that was 95, yeah? Yeah, back Still? in 1995, yeah. And Queensland Reptile Park, you were saying originally you had about six to eight staff. Yeah, so so when I started um, um, there, um, volunteering, they had about, about seven or eight staff that, that worked there. Yeah. Yeah, and and the whole the whole place was about, about 15 acres. Yeah. So it was quite a... Quite a small little place. Um, most of the animals were um, rescued from the wild. So there, there was the crocodiles that Steve and his dad had, had rescued. Um, they were um, deemed as problem crocodiles in the East Coast um, Crocodile Management Program. So they were taken from the wild because they were a threat to people or cattle. Um, they had a lot of um, kangaroos that had been raised um, when their mums had been hit by cars. They had a wedge-tailed eagle that had been been shot. They had a jabiru, that had, um, which is a black-necked stork, that had hit the power lines and injured its wings. So... Mm. Most of the animals that they had there were um, were um, had been rescued and, and looked after from from the other uh, wild. Mm. So you volunteered there for a while, and you worked with the team there doing all sorts of odds and bods jobs. That's right. Yep. And what happened then? Cause, well, cause, because you know, because I'd spent quite a few years working on the farm, and I knew how to work. You know, you get up in the farm at the sparrows and, and work all day long, and, and you learn you know quite a few good skills like fencing and. And uh, an animal husbandry, it, it became um, quite apparent in a, in a very short amount of time that um, that I'd be quite useful to the, the guys at, at the reptile park. So they they put me on part time, 
And back then, I was um, I was getting fifty five dollars a day cash in hand, so that was my um, that was my uh, living expenses, which was, was a huge drop in in money from uh, from what I was making down down in Victoria. But um, I think rent was probably um, fifty dollars a week back then uh, in in Kings Beach with, with my cousin. So uh, my, my overheads were very very low, and, and I really enjoyed um, my time working there at the um, at the park. But obviously, you enjoyed working there. It was something you were you were passionate about. So. You kept going, didn't you? I mean, you- I loved it. I loved it. And then, um, then, then a really unfortunate incident happened uh, midway through that year, and it's a, unfortunate for some, but fortunate for me. So the guy who used to um, be in charge of all the crocodiles, and he was actually the manager um, at the time, he fell out of a tree. He was um, up there on, on, a, on a tall ladder. He broke his arm very badly, and he could no longer um, do his job. So then Steve said to me, "Right, you're going to be my new crocodile apprentice." And you said to him, "Okay, no did you, worries." Did you have a sleep on it overnight, or you just said, "No, I, I thought fantastic. This is uh, this is right up my alley. This this sounds great." Yeah, right. Yeah. And and there began your journey. That began my, my journey. Yes, in the, into the crocodile world. Yeah, yeah. So, it, from now, like from from that point to you know '06 and all those years on, because you spent what seventeen and twenty years working. For us, for the now Australia Zoo. Yes, I spent seventeen years um, uh, working working up there, and uh, and as you can imagine, there was huge changes over that mm. period. So I mentioned when I started, there was, a, there was about seven or eight staff that worked there. Mm. So um, Steve sadly passed away in two thousand and six, and when he passed away, there was over six hundred staff, wow. and the zoo was over over three hundred acres. So um, you know, a, a massive transformation happened in, in that over those those eleven years that uh, Steve was alive there. And basically, that that came about by by Steve doing his wildlife documentaries, and um, they weren't really well received in in Australia, uh, New Zealand. They, they they loved it, but when he went over overseas, it went gangbusters, and uh, and then all of a sudden that was a huge amount of uh, people coming in into the zoo to to visit, and and also uh, you know funds for him to to put back into the zoo into more conservation projects and more animals and, and yeah. uh, expanding the zoo. Tell us about your relationship with Steve. Because you talked about he was love surfing. That's right. Yeah. So I guess Steve and I bonded um, from a very very early age because uh, he loved surfing and, and, and so did I. And um, and I was his his uh, new sort of crocodile apprentice. So he really wanted to instill um, in me his his passion for for crocodiles and and the animals that he loved, which I, I took on board very very quickly. He was kind of like a big brother to me. He's about about uh, about ten years older than me, but. Fantastic guy and, and and someone who I feel like I could you know, discuss any any problem with and uh, and and a great guy and, and given that you know he, he loves surfing too we we'd meet down at the beach you know, every morning before work nice and early as soon as the sun was up and where'd you we, surf where's your favourite beach you'd surf in probably Karamundi yep yeah still to this day it's it's, it's one of my one of my favourite places to go and go and surf yeah and when he talked to you about problems or just life. Yeah. Was it a very calm discussion? Did you did you have a chit chat? Yeah. So so when when we'd sort of um go out in the surf, yeah, we'd call it a, our board meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'd sit out there, and all, all the problems of the world would sort of you know melt away. I, I wouldn't say I, I'm a great surfer, but Steve really pushed me, and he was a, he was a, a great surfer, quite powerful, really good barrel rider, and um, yeah, when the conditions yeah you know, sort of you know started to get it. Bit more tricky. He would he would sort of coach me and and um, yeah you know, and, and push me into waves that I probably wouldn't normally sort of sort of take on. And uh, so I really did yeah you know, appreciate that about him. 
So we had a professional and a social relationship with him and, and, and a passion for ocean surfing and obviously yeah, that's right. ecology, ecology itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that was in, in, in 1995. Now, um, one of my big breaks sort of uh, came a bit later in the year, so he sort of uh, made me his new um, crocodile apprentice. And then about midway through the year, he, he took me on, on my first field trip up, uh, up north of Rockhampton uh, into, the, into the mangroves there looking for a really rare and endangered um, little goanna called the, the Rusty Monitor that the, the zoo wanted to, um, to learn about. And so we, we went up there and we overnighted and, and I managed to actually find one of these little rare little goannas, a little rusty monitor. Mm. And he was, he was quite in, impressed about that. So uh, that sort of um, set up set up a good uh, good good future for us. That was your first trip away, was it, together? It yep. was, yeah. Rocky. Yeah, yep, up to, um, yeah, up, up north of Rock, Rockhampton to the mangroves there. Yeah, sensational. Yeah. So obviously I want to explore a bit more about in the, in, um, the crocodile research and the work you did because fast forwarding from 95 on you, you've, you've traveled the world right you've yep. traveled the world literally the world yep working with steve Irwin and the team um early days beginning you know and then right to the point where you know you're dealing with um, research scientists understanding not just crocodiles but the whole environment and working with steve very closely in all his um his ventures yep so just talk about you know what transpired there? How, how, you know, what, what you did with, with Steve and where, where you're headed next? So, so the, the, you, you talked about a story a while ago where early on you go up to the Cape and you were trying to understand how crocodiles behaved, how they moved across environments. And, That's right. And um, you didn't have any university or you didn't have many people involved in research back then. Yeah, well, basically, um, uh, fr from a very early early stage, Steve was, was very keen to try and capture um, as much natural behaviour of, of the saltwater crocodile as he can. So he, he got more and more heavily in, involved in, in, in filming projects. So in 1997, he started filming a documentary called, uh, with um, Partridge Films, which was a documentary was called Crocodiles Down Under. So he went up to Lakefield National Park. This is in, um, in uh, 1996. Caught a large crocodile there that was sort of terrorising uh, fishermen in, in a lagoon, he caught it, and uh, they shone spotlights on it, and and sort of uh, and restrained it, and then um, they did a bit of hazing, and then released it back in, into the waterhole. And the idea was to give it a bit, a bit of a, a negative experience with people, and, and hopefully it wouldn't pop up and, and start harassing people anymore. So that was filmed, and then he got two Americans to come over from Gainesville, Florida, that um, specialised in natural history. Um, cinema photographer and he sent me up as a guide to help them get their shots so we spent about seven weeks on the western side of Cape York in the middle of the wet season at a remote Aboriginal community there trying to film all this sort of natural behaviour um, for, the, for the documentary so that was uh, you know, crocodiles you know, stalking and attacking like feral pigs it was crocodiles nesting and laying eggs and, um, and interacting and mating and all that sort of you know, natural behaviour mm. that happens in the wild mm. yeah so you were obviously heavily involved in, in everything that happened in terms of the crocodile world and research going That's right, yeah. beyond that. Now, now, the other thing that happened, as Steve's profile grew um, around the world with crocodiles, um, all of a sudden he started getting more and more requests to help um, with that because there's many species of endangered crocodile found around the world. So in 1999, as a response to that, we formed the International Crocodile Rescue Unit at, 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 um, at, at the zoo, zoo then. Yeah. 
So um, whenever a government organisation would ask us for help with a crocodile problem, we would respond. And we, we sort of stipulated that it had to be like a government organisation because we used to get three or four requests every week from from um, Florida in America, Americans wanting us to help with the alligator that's outgrown their bathtub. So it was more <laughs> they sort want of you and Steve there. That, yeah, tomorrow. that's right. Yeah, yeah. But um, basically, we we got asked by the Australian government and the armed forces to, to come over to East Timor in '99. Um, they found some crocodiles there in the middle of Dili that um, had been sort of uh, treated pretty badly. And at the time, um, uh, East Timor had gone for a big, big conflict there. Um, mm. and had the vote for independence, and um, the Indonesians had, had um, basically trashed the place before they left. Mm. And uh, they left a couple of crocodiles there in the middle of town that, that were in, in dire need of, of our help. So, so that was our, our first um, overseas trip to um, to go over and rescue the crocodiles in Dili, East Timor. Wow. And that, that became obviously a, a regular thing where you had where you we had to sort out and decide where you'll be going. What for? And so you rescued crocodiles. Where they go to? Well, basically, um, the, these crocodiles were, were pets, and and the locals of East Timor believe that um, crocodiles are a sacred animal. And these um, these animals were in town, just in in one was in the in ex Indonesian military training area, and the other was at a local church. But the one that was in a church was um, in a, in a small little pond that was only um, you know, seven foot by seven foot, and it was about, it was a twelve foot crocodile, and it was, had been living there for years, and obviously outgrown the enclosure. But it was a steel steel enclosure, and um, it was you know, well beyond the um, the locals to be able to safely get it out of this enclosure. And, and uh, so we went there, built some new enclosures, and and moved them moved them out of the, these, um, these these areas where they were. Yeah. So as your life unfolded, you were obviously working closely with Steve and the team. What was a team? Tell me about the team. What was a team? Like when you look at a team and you obviously had to plan <clears throat> these projects, whether it be research or documentaries or, or rescues. Yep. Um, you had to plan these things before you go. Yep. And there's there's issues around safety, issues around um, the outcomes he's trying to achieve. And there's an unknown aspect where, you know, these unfold and you've got to go with them. But also you're dealing with um, not just crocodiles but environments so that can be unsafe. Yeah, very, very, so, so much. And that's a lot of questions or comments there, but can you give me some feel about planning and what you're doing and, and, and what your role was and what the team looked like? Yeah, okay. So um, so d- depending on, on uh, where we were going and what we were doing would depend on, on the team. So when we went over to East Timor, um, we took um, you know several several keepers. So there was Wes, who was um, Steve's um, you know, right hand man, and uh, and director of Australia Zoo. He came as well. We had some some guys that were really good with construction because we had to build some new enclosures there. So there was Bruce who who helped with the um, the pool. Um, there was a, there was a, a big consideration too um, for our, our safety while we we're there. Um, so to give you an idea, we had about about seventeen shots before we went there. So I had to get all, all our inoculations and malaria medications and. And uh, we ended up getting a, a military transport over to um, to Dili with with 19 pellets of equipment. So it was a big sea cat that took us over there. Um, so depending on on where we were and what we were doing would depend on the team. But Steve would normally always uh, uh, pick the team. Some of the some of the um, the projects that we did though, where we, we were catching crocodiles in remote areas, would uh, involve just a very very small um, skeleton crew and one particular. Um, uh, crocodile that we had to relocate over in Vanuatu. I ended up just uh, going over there uh, by myself uh, with a satellite phone, and then when I finally managed to trap the crocodile, I rang Steve, and then he came came over to, to help me with it. Right, okay, <laughs> <laughs> on your lonesome. Yeah, yeah, but so yeah, if we could have like a, a small team, or we could be like um, just solo, just depending on uh, 
So what, what was your role? Like, what was your role as with with Steve and the team? What was your role? Well, I, I was um, um, curator of crocodiles at that time there. So um, yeah, so basically, I did did my apprenticeship. It was a four year apprenticeship. The first, you know. Um, uh, a little bit of time was uh, working with the, the freshwater crocodiles, the um, American alligators and the small salties. And then, then when I got a bit of experience, um, Steve started to teach me how to work with the larger saltwater crocodiles. So sort of start off slowly, work out, work out how these animals are sort of working and then sort of go on to the, the larger crocodiles. And, and our, our largest crocodile zoo was, was Akko, who was 16 feet and weighed a tonne. So you didn't just jump in with him on the first day. You, you obviously needed um, you know, quite a bit of... Um, bit of teaching and, and you needed to learn all, all about these animals. Did it involve a bit of circuit training on the track, mate, just to sprint from a zero to you know, five metres in, in, in nothing? That's right, yeah, and you also right. had to be very, very good at, at jumping fences um, you know, when, when, the, when the need sort of arose too because uh, we didn't use gates uh, there because you couldn't you know, have a gate open with, with uh, people at the zoo walking past, so we should just have to jump the fences and uh, you got very good at jumping fences. Yeah, um, I, can, I can imagine that. Everyone who's listening to this podcast will be going, yes, 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 you're obviously still here. You haven't been bitten in half. You haven't been, you know, you don't sound like you're a problem. I can tell you from what I'm seeing in front of me here, um, Brian is, is, is in one piece, two arms, legs, all the things are intact. The feet, I can see the toes. One second. Yes. The toes are all there and the face is intact. So, mate, come on, a close encounter. What happened to you? When were you bitten? What happened? Well, uh, Steve, Steve said to me um, during that initial um, training period, uh, if you get bitten, um, you get the sack because uh, <laughs> if you get bitten by a, like a small little crocodile or an alligator, you'll end up with a bit of a you know, hole or a few stitches. And um, But if you get bitten by one of the big ones, you might be missing an arm or a leg or, or you might lose your life. So uh, so that can be very, very, very smart. Um, and so I was, I was also always made sure I was very, very careful not, not to get to get bitten. Um, but then, um, unfortunately, around about the 10-year mark, I guess I was maybe a little bit complacent. One day I um, was feeding some smaller crocodiles. Uh, having at, a at the zoo? At the zoo. I was, I was ha having a fight and I tried to split them up and uh, one of them ended up uh, latching onto my leg and uh, I ended up with about 20 stitches uh, yeah, in, in my, my calf muscle there to put wow. them back together. So. How did you get it off you? Oh, I just basically pulled out. So it grabbed me. I just sort of pulled away and then sort of jumped the fence and, and went, oh, I might need a few stitches for that one there. Is that your only croc bite? It is, yes. Wow. But um, I had witnessed quite a few over, over the years and um, and some of them, um, yeah, very, very um, severe. Um, uh, one particular night there was a flood at the zoo and one of the guys, uh, Wes, got grabbed by, by a crocodile called Graham and it grabbed him from below the knee up to his buttocks and um, and and made a real mess of him. And he ended up getting 180 steel staples to close his whole leg and, and bum back together. Wow, he survived it. Survived, yeah. So yeah. Well, I ended up doing the first aid on him that night and, um, yeah, it was very, very nasty indeed. Yeah, wow. So you were trained. You, you know, there, there wasn't some random sort of heading off. You, you had training. You yeah, so we were all, safety all was important first, to you first aid, first aid trained and, um, and uh, yeah, whenever we, we went away to these areas, we, we certainly had, you know, first aid kits and, uh, and yeah, we were very well versed in, in what to do. Yeah. What was the training like back then? What, what were you trained in? When you say first aid, did you, were you trained in trauma management? Like what happened? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we had uh, certainly had our um, trauma trauma first aid kits. Sort of um, whether we were away in the wild or whether we were um, you know, at the zoo. We um, also got had trained um, training with with our backups. So uh, yeah, when you were feeding the crocodiles or doing a demonstration, you'd always have uh, someone else waiting there you know, behind you in in the event that um, you were grabbed by a crocodile. They 
they uh, they knew what to do, how to how to respond. Um, we had uh, pick handles there around the um, around the enclosures, and and they were also always very close to the um, the people who was your backup. So if you were grabbed by a crocodile, they had the pick handle there to either jam into the crocodile's uh, mouth or, or give them a whack over the head to uh, try and free you from their jaws. But uh, luckily, um, we've never never had to um, you know whack up. When Wes actually got grabbed, he physically tore himself out of the. Um, crocodile's mouth and steve grabbed the the crocodile and dragged it away from him so um he was, he was very lucky there wow and who was wes like in terms of where, where was his so so from? wes wes's um was i'd say he's probably one of steve's best mates he mm. started working at the zoo um back in the 80s um with, with steve he's a mad keen reptile um guy and uh yeah he uh, then later on life became um one of the directors at, at australia zoo right interesting times eh yeah, yeah. So during during this time, so if we go back a bit, during this time, Australia Zoo, your now wife Kate, she used to run tours to the zoo, didn't she? The zoo. She did, yeah. So, so my wife Kate, I knew her from the local area. She, um, uh, when she was younger, worked in the local surf shop with my cousin Jody, um, and she was working for an American company, and they were bringing um, kids, American kids, into into the zoo. And I used to always sort of say g'day to her and um, and make a bit of a fuss over over the the group, the kids that they were with and, and whatnot. And uh, when she um, finished up with that job, she, she asked me if there were any jobs going at the zoo and and, uh, and I ended up getting her a job um, at the zoo with the uh, the Wandering Wildlife Department. Did you? <laughs> I did, I did. Yeah, it's a nice way to, to um, it's a nice courting way to, to, to move forward, isn't it? So That's got, right. Got her a yes. job there, you got locked her in there. I did, got her a job. And then um, you just worked together and eventually found out that she, she may be an all right type. Yeah, well, at the time when, when she first started there, we were both sort of seeing other people. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess um, a relationship wasn't really on the cards. But uh, several months later, um, you know, both of our sort of situations changed and, um, mm. yeah, we ended, ended up um, together. Yeah, awesome. Still are today. Yep. Still, yeah, still, yeah, still here today. Still, still, um, yeah, having a great time. And uh, it was lucky actually because uh, she was able to come and come and help me with um, you know a lot of the a lot of the projects and uh, yep. and, um, and and trips that I did. She'd uh, she'd come along and help out. So globally, where have you travelled to with with um, with Steve and the, and the and the teams or where around the world? Have you been well anywhere? for for our um, particular um, international crocodile missions? I've been to just to rattle off a few. I've been to Costa Rica. Was work with Brown Caymans there. Went to the Singapore Zoo and, and moved a 15-foot uh, Malaysian gharial, which is a type of crocodile. We've been to Cambodia working with the Siamese crocodiles. We've been to Sumatra relocating some some big saltwater crocodiles there that were eating people after the tsunami. Um, yeah, uh, I guess the list is sort of go, goes yeah. on. So basically, all around the world, doing you know, crocodile sort of rescue missions, but then. Um, also, has travelled with Steve extensively, you know, through through America and um, and, you know, and and other countries as well. Vanuatu. You mentioned about crocodile species and different types there. You know, how many species of crocodiles are There's there? There's 23, 23 found worldwide, and and most of them are endangered, um, you know, in the, in the natural ranges. So that's why I guess the the focus was was quite. Um, um, heavily on us to get this international crocodile rescue unit. Like to give you an idea, we went to Cambodia and had to um, help rescue some some um, Siamese crocodiles there. There's, they say there's only about 200 of those left in the in the wild. So uh, yeah, those uh, poor Siamese crocodiles, their their habitat was getting destroyed by um, uh, a big hydro dam that was being 
being built up in the mountains there. So all their habitat was just getting getting wiped out. People around, you know, you hear a lot of media talk and around crocodiles and moving crocodiles and you know they're they're, they're protected species and whatnot. And people say, "Well, should you get rid of them, kill them, you know, kill them?" Also, don't, they don't affect or impact on community. Yeah, what's, well, what, I guess. Your... See, with, with, with crocodiles, um, that they are an apex predator. So, you know, in every ecosystem, we, we have have an apex predator. And when you remove the apex predator, all of a sudden, the, the food chain starts to, to deteriorate. To give you an idea, um, in northern Australia, we have you know the saltwater crocodile. They're our apex predator. Uh, what do you call it, apex predator? What's that mean? They're the so top? They're, they're the top of the food chain. Yeah. So if you go into a river system and, and you remove all your apex predators, take all your all your crocodiles out of there, all of a sudden all your um, the pest species of fish like catfish and bony brim will start to overpopulate. Now they say that one catfish can eat three thousand baby barramundi finglings a year. So you know, if you wipe all the crocodiles out of the river system, nothing eats the catfish. All of a sudden, um, you lose the barramundi, you lose your mud crabs. Yeah, you know, the ecosystem starts to um, starts to deteriorate. So yeah, so these big apex predators are, are incredibly important. Also, I mean, in the last number of years, there's been like a real focus in a lot of our northern um, um, cities like Cairns and Townsville mm. to make these areas. Cr- crocodile-free zones. And this is a real political move by the uh, the politicians. They want the people to feel safe because they're, they're making the areas a crocodile-free zone. And any crocodile that's, that's seen, they target that and they and they try and um, catch catch them out and they'll, they'll then go to a crocodile farm. But unfortunately, this is um, giving people a very, very false sense of security because crocodiles, especially the saltwater crocodile, can travel vast distances in the open ocean um, and at night time, and they can remain submerged under the water for up to three hours. So if you call an area a croc-free zone, um, one day you might take a crocodile out, the next day another one might just move in there. So you need, rather than taking these animals out of the environment, they need to look at, um, at uh, education of people. Crocodiles are quite an easy animal to avoid um, capture, uh, sorry, to avoid being attacked by. If you go swimming in their environment, especially at night time, very very risky situation, but if you stay out of the water, back from the water's edge, <coughs> excuse me, you're quite safe. Mm. Have a drink of water. Have a little break here. Have a drink of water. Yes, actually, sculling the water. Yes. Hey, um, that's interesting because um, you did tell a story a while ago, early on in your time, where you understand you to look at a look at how a crocodile moves, or where they sit. You flew a large crocodile in a plane from. The east coast of the Cape to the yes, okay. So um, Gulf. Basically, when when they used to look at um, at the management of crocodiles, one of the options was that if you had a problem crocodile, you could relocate it. And we used to always um, wonder, well, what happened if the crocodile would swim home? And so in two thousand three, we started started to develop these satellite trackers that could track a crocodile. So what we did was we, we caught a crocodile over in, on the western side of Cape York Peninsula, threw, flew it 300 kilometres um, across to the other side of Cape York, to the eastern side of Cape York. We released it and then it, um, it with a satellite tracker, it hung around for a couple of weeks and then it ended up swimming home. And, and it was around about 1,000 k's. So it swam all wow. the way up to the tip of Cape York, then all the way down the western side and back into the river where it originally was caught from. And how do you understand that happens? Like, is it that's just what happens? Well, basically, um, 
So the crocodile hung around for for a few weeks in that um, in that that area where it was released. It swam out uh, east into the into the coral sea for a while and visited some some sand caves. Then all of a sudden one day it just sort of said, "Right, I'm going home now." And then it wasn't until a couple of years later that we had this very um, uh, smart scientist called Dr. Hamish Campbell start working for us. He overlaid all the ocean currents of that time onto the area where the crocodile uh, moved through and he found out that what happens is the currents there go from north to south. But all of a sudden, um, the day the crocodile decided to go home, a low-pressure system had started to spin up in the coral sea. The currents had reversed and so the, the crocodile used the ocean currents to go home. Wow. So, um, so it hung around until the currents reversed and then it, it used those to go home. So really, so the, all the crocodile or the research going on was underpinned, wasn't it, very fast by science, scientists, research people, universities yep, involved. That's right. Yeah, and it was Steve who who, who footed the, the bill because they going back those days, the um, the satellite trackers were um, probably about ten thousand dollars each. Yeah, so it was very very new technology. It was um, very expensive, and um, and we used to only get you know a couple of data points you know every couple of hours or maybe only ten fifteen a day. These days, the, the trackers are probably only about a thousand dollars, and they can give you like fine scale movement. Um, they can you know, tell you to the minute you know, where the crocodile is moving around. So, um, so the technology has really changed over that period of time. Steve Irwin, right? You've got to be a special character, a mind, a business person, a thinker, an, an innovator. Like to to to, to grow uh, an interest or a passion or or, or um, from. When you first started, eight nine people in a, in a in a retired park, to what it was and is today, it takes a lot, doesn't it? I mean, so was was Steve in, intricate in, in in deciding on all all these parts? Of he the certainly was. Yeah, he he was um he was extremely driven. Um, yeah, to give you an idea, I, I was talking to my dad once, and, and he said um, he watched a um, a report of sixty minutes about. Um, a gentleman who was a billionaire and the reporter said to the billionaire you have a billion dollars you can have anything you want if you could have one thing what would it be and he said just a bit more and uh, that was kind of what Steve was like not in terms of he wanted a billion dollars but he he just wanted to, you know, the zoo to get bigger and bigger and to get um, you know more and more conservation and 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 he just had this drive about him just that, that just um yeah, just kept on pushing and pushing and pushing, and um, yeah, he'd do more documentaries, and yeah, he, he's one of these sort of people that probably survived on four or five hours of sleep a night, and he was always up planning and and um, yeah, new documentaries, new enclosures for the zoo, new conservation projects, and uh, he's one of these guys that really sort of put his money where his mouth is too. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, did he enjoy a coffee? Yeah, he loved his coffee, loved his tea. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't didn't um, didn't smoke cigarettes at all, or, um, or or drink beer. He actually he stopped drinking the um, the first year that um, I was uh, working at um, Australia Zoo. So I've never never had a beer with him, but um, yeah, he loved his tea, loved his coffee, and um, interesting. That's an interesting story, isn't it? Interesting yeah. to see how people operate. But yeah, look, looking at the growth of the business and looking at the passion of a person, um, you know, there's an incredible amount of planning and thinking goes ahead, and his team obviously. His team, or his the, the the business itself, was made up through his wife. That's right. Um, yeah. And and father, Wes. 
Yes, that's right. Yes. So um, in uh, 1993, Steve's dad, um, Bob, and then his uh, mum, Lynn, they handed the reins of of, uh, of the Reptile Park to Steve and Terry, and they said, okay, we're, we're going to be here if you need us, but we're going to sort of step step aside a bit. Um, so they moved up to near 1770. They were still growing plants for the zoo. Um, whenever we um, had like a, a big crocodile move on, Bob would always come and help us. So. Mm. One particular Mother's Day, we had to move 20 uh, sub-adult crocodiles, all around about nine or ten foot. And um, so Bob and Lynn came, uh, Steve's mum and dad came down to help us. Uh, 97, Steve and I had to go down to Taronga Zoo and, and move some really big alligators down there. And once again, Bob came down to help us. So uh, yep. he was always there as a support and, and, and uh, you know, if you ever needed him, he was there. Um, sadly, uh, as the zoo got bigger, Steve asked... Um, his mum and dad to move closer back to the zoo to uh, manage um, one of our properties um, at Blackbutt. And unfortunately on the way there, Steve's mum fell asleep and, and was killed um, in a car accident. So, yeah, so that was a, that was a very, very devastating blow for, for Steve, as you can imagine, and, and that, the whole sort of extended zoo family. Yeah, definitely. What was that, 95-ish? Uh, no, no, no. That Early happened um, in around about, around about the 2000s. Okay. 99, 2000s, mm. yeah. So fast forward, you, you, you've been these years with Steve and, and, and the, um, the zoo, the um, research, the, the general sort of um, work you're doing has um, expanded dramatically. You've travelled extensively, you've learnt a lot. You, you're now the curator of the, the, of the, the crocodile world, yep. I suppose. Um, you've, um, and then um, Kate's been working at the zoo and working in the, in the business for, for some time, I take That's it That's right, yep. Um, and at some point there, Steve decided to build a, a boat. That's right, yeah. So, uh, so in, um, in 2005, uh, Steve's plans for, for Kate and I changed. He, um, he built a research vessel called Croc One and he um, asked Kate and I if we could um, crew, crew the boat uh, full time. Were you and Kate and then? We were, yeah, we were actually engaged at, at that time. So um, he, he locked in, locked in, we were locked in. So he looked at us as, as a good, um, good, good option to um, to you know, crew and, and and be a host on the boat there. Yeah. Um, so you built Croc One. How big was Croc One? So it was a sixty footer. It was a purpose built research vessel that was built in um, in Western Australia, and um, it was designed for for filming and research and rescue. Right. So he. Engage yourself and Kate to head up at crew the boat. That's right. Over, yep. Run, run the boat. Yeah, that's right. Um, were you trained to dive, or what was your what well, was your thing? Kate and I were both um, both uh, open water divers, but um, Steve put us um, uh, through all of our dive tickets all the way up to dive master, um, so that when we were um, taking people diving on, on the boat, we could um, you know, run that that side of things because the boat had uh, dive compressors and, and tanks. We had. Um, Zodiacs, we had tinnies, had quad bikes, had jet skis, so it, it uh, at shark cages. It was a pretty multi-purpose uh, Mate, research. This, this was your this was your dream toy, wasn't it? It was. It was indeed, your dream yeah, toy. Dream toy. And you're there for the launch of it. We were, yeah. Well, so it was launched in Western Australia. Um, the skipper and a um, a crew um, brought it all the way around uh, the bottom of Australia through the Bass Strait and up to um, the Sunshine Coast. And then once we got it to the Sunshine Coast, we had to um, sort of retrofit it with uh, all the um, the toys and, and gadgets uh, for a, for a research um, filming vessel. Yeah. So it was manned by there was a skipper. A skipper. Yep. 
first mate, I guess, some mates there, and then you guys were the, the, the Australia Zoo um, operators in terms of what was happening. Yeah, so basically um, once, once the boat was uh, was fully operational, we had, had a skipper and then um, myself and, and Kate, and uh, the first year we actually had a, a cook and, and a fishing guide as well that were um, good good friends of Steve's from, from Cape York. Okay. So from that point on, did you was that your focus, Quack One? It was so. Um, so I had to um, to step aside as being the um, the curator of crocodiles at that stage. Toby, he was my, my right hand man. He he took up um, took up the mantle of a of a croc curator, and um, and then I sort of yeah moved over to to to, uh, to croc one to, to work there. And what was the main thing croc one did? Like you obviously you travelled up the coast. Yeah. So basically, we used to leave um, leave the Sunshine Coast in in June. We'd um, we'd travel up the um, the east coast of uh, of Queensland um, to the outer, outer barrier reef. We'd we'd um, we'd be f- uh, filming along the way. We'd occasionally we'd have have guests that we'd have to sort of take out and um, and take diving or, or show them around. Then Steve would come in. We'd do research um, in Lakefield National Park for um, six seven weeks um, every year in in August. Um, yeah, so we had uh, had. Had many different, um, so we, we basically had to had to plan to be away for six months at a time on the boat, right? And that was diverse research. Was it ocean research or was it based yeah, on? We, we would, yeah, we we do like um, we do crocodile research, shark research, and uh, and not just with Australia Zoo. Um, Steve would invite other researchers along as well. Um, there was crew from the university that were doing studies on tiger sharks, so we'd be like catching tiger sharks. We'd be um, rescuing sea turtles and, and putting satellite trackers on them. So these are sea turtles that have been like tangled up in crab pots and, and injured. So we'd uh, rehabilitate them, put satellite trackers on them and then release them. And some of these sea turtles, you know, weigh up to 150 kilos and Croc 1 had cranes that you could like lift um, stuff off and on the on the boat with. Was this all planned or did things pop up on the way? Well, some of it was planned. A lot of it just popped up along the way. Yeah, Okay. And you travel up, how far you travel around, around the Cape? Cape yeah, um, all the way to the tip of Cape York, into the Torres Straits, down the western side of Cape York. Yeah, so um, now in 1990, oh, sorry, in 2005, um, we spent um, six months on the um, on the boat and then Kate and I flew home from Weeper to get married. So, oh, 05. 05, yep. So we um, we flew home. Uh, we basically planned our whole wedding from, from the boat. So <laughs> set out the, the uh, invitations and... Um, we had a very sort of casual, low-key um, wedding. We got married on the tip of Bribey, straight in front of um, the house, uh, sort of right in front of our, where we live, basically, which is lovely. Um, yeah, had a lovely. So you live on you live on Golden Beach. It's a beautiful location for all you guys listening to the podcast. And I'm married at Bribey Island, which is a beautiful uh, national park that sits just just against the. Um, Kings Beach, Golden Beach, there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah very so nice. we, we got a boat over to, over to Golden Beach and got married um, on the tip of the, of the island there, which is beautiful. Um, all the guests uh, were would join us, including Steve, which was was quite nice. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lovely day. Awesome. And then after your marriage, was a honeymoon or honeymoon back on the boat? Um, no, no. We um, we actually went over to um, Sri Lanka and um, and travelled travelled over there for for a couple of weeks and then awesome yeah came down and went down to Wilson's Promontory and did a bit of hiking down there and then uh, then then back back to work back on the boat yeah what a life what what an adventure yeah it was it was pretty pretty incredible time and uh, yeah it's I think uh, I feel I definitely feel most uh, at ease when I'm when I'm um, out at sea and uh, whether on a surfboard or, or a, a research vessel um, it makes yeah, sense it, it makes does. sense it's great. Yeah. Um, 
Can I move into a bit of a sense of area with you now? Because um, as the world knows, I mean, Steve Irwin passed away in 06, a year later. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, just take it. Just take us through um, what what led up to that. Where were you, um, and and what, what what happened, and and, and just let's talk about it with you if we yeah. can. Okay. So um, so two thousand six began just as um, as two thousand five had. Um, Kate and I were very sort of heavily involved with Croc One. We left um, the Sunshine Coast in um, June, as as the year before. We headed up to Lady Elliot Island where we met Steve. Um, um, did a bit of filming and diving. And, Where, where's uh, that island? Lady Elliot Island. It's it's out of Bundaberg. It's the sort of the southern tip of the of the Great Barrier Reef. Right. So uh, yeah. So yeah, as I mentioned, yeah, the um, the year started uh, just the same as as two thousand and five. Um, heading up the coast of Queensland, Steve would fly into um, certain areas along the way. We'd catch up with him and, and either do filming or, or research trips. Mm. Um, August, uh, as usual, was um, was designated to be our our, our crocodile research. So. We um, steamed um, Crocodile up into the North Kennedy River um, in Lakefield National Park. Um, the North Kennedy um, River has got a, a huge abundance of big saltwater crocodiles and that um, research trip still goes down as, as um, one of the most successful trips that we'd ever had at, at Australia Zoo. So we caught about 49 crocodiles um, that on, year. On the boat? Um, yeah, in, in our in our traps um, yeah. all, all along the North Kennedy River, and we're sort of operating it out of the boat there. We had a, a, a ground team as well that were based there as well. What were you doing? Like when you say research, you can't catch a croc in a big in a in a. You know. Well, what we do is we we set traps, um, floating traps or um, soft nest net traps um, up on the on the um, beach, and, and we were ca- um, catching these crocodiles and putting little acoustic tags inside them. And the acoustic tags have got like a 10-year uh, lifespan, so we're able to track the movement of those crocodiles right. for 10 yeah. years. So, yeah, we're, so we're catching these crocodiles for research. And then at the very end of um, the, the months of, of crocodile research, Steve was going to start a documentary called Ocean's Deadliest. So that was with um, Philippe uh, Cousteau, who's um, Jacques Cousteau's um, grandson. Um, so who's that? Um, uh, Jacques Cousteau, he was um, one of the, one of the pioneers of, of uh, I guess, ocean uh, adventure and documentary. Right. So he's a real pioneer when it comes to um, yeah oceanography and diving and and, and yeah. filming underwater. He's uh, an incredible guy. Um, um, and he joined the the team. To do well, that? his his um, his grandson, um, uh, yes, yeah, Philippe. He he joined right. joined the team, uh, as well as uh, Dr. Jamie Seymour, who's um, from uh, James Cook University, Townsville. He's a um, world renowned uh, researcher on marine stingers. Yeah. So Steve was um, was due to film this uh, documentary called Ocean's Deadliest. So um, the very very end of, of our crocodile research, we we caught a crocodile or caught a co- caught a couple of crocodiles and and filmed it for the documentary. One of them we took out to the Barrier Reef and released it. Um, to see how, how deep they could dive because they had um, they had t- time depth recorders on them, right? And uh, recorded the, the crocodiles diving to a depth of uh, thirty meters. Really, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, and then they go, yeah, straight, they go straight down. Is that they just, they just yes, descend? straight down? Yep. Yeah, so that that was pretty incredible. Um, and then also sort of tracking their movements as well. So then the crocodile research wrapped up and we met uh, Steve down in in Port Douglas um, and then headed out to. The barrier reef out to the, uh, the Argentcourt reefs to um, to dive with um, marine stingers and stonefish and tiger sharks. 
So you went north back? Uh, no, south. South from uh, Lakefield National Park, Prince right. of Shallow Bay, back down to um, to uh, Port Douglas and, uh, yeah. Out there, yeah. Out there, yeah. So now when we were out there um, filming, the weather was um, was – was uh was not not the best it was quite rainy overcast um at the time we were anchored in this um big coral lagoon called um called bat reef and the reason why we're in there is we were looking for tiger sharks now tiger sharks come up into the reef shallows and they they attack sea turtles and on a, on a nice calm day you can sort of sit on the deck of your boat and you'll see quite a commotion as the tiger shark hits a turtle and then of course come over and film it but when we were there the weather was was uh, the visibility was down to about 30 or 40 metres. Um, it was quite rainy. Yeah. We were there for two or three days and, and we hadn't sort of uh, seen any sharks. The last morning, um, the the weather all of a sudden came good. The, the rain stopped, the um, the wind stopped, the sun came out. And so myself and Steve and, and Kate thought we'd um, um, take the Zodiac out and, and go looking for some tiger sharks. Now... Um, we didn't see any sharks, but the Zodiac disturbed a very, very large stingray. So the uh, cameraman thought he would jump in and, and film the stingray. So he um, had an underwater camera. He was mm. swimming beside the stingray. Um, and we were just sort of tailing him off it in the distance, just watching him. Eventually the stingray stopped and it, it, um, it buried itself down into the sand. So it flapped its, itself in like the a sand, hole yeah. and yeah. camouflaged itself. And, and the cameraman was filming all this stuff. <coughs> now Steve thought he would jump over and have a bit of a look, so he put his, his mask on, and the cameraman was is it a snorkel, or just a mask. Yeah, just a mask. Yeah, 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 mask and snorkel. So he sort of jumped over and swum sort of towards uh, the cameraman and the stingray, but the stingray was a bit buried by this stage. And as Steve swung towards the cameraman, the stingray sort of pivoted up and and, and unfortunately um, hit Steve in the chest with with his barb causing you know, a very, very severe injury. So, yeah, so we quickly responded. We got Steve. How far were you away at that time? Well, only probably about oh, five or six metres away. Right. Yeah, so... Um, you were taking them pretty closely. Yeah, we're quite yeah. close, yeah, keeping an eye on things. And uh, at that mm. stage, yeah, the, the stingray stopped. So, um, yeah, we all sort of stopped as well, a bit of distance away. <laughs> so we got Steve into the boat and unfortunately, um, yeah, he... Um, I had a very severe injury and, and unfortunately by the time we sort of got back to, to Croc 1, we were already um, starting uh, to commence um, CPR. CPR yeah. um, was, yes. was Kate with you then? Yes, Kate was there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we had to ring emergency services. They um, told us to go to um, Low Isles where they could fly a chopper in. So we steamed um, Croc 1 to Low Isles. The paramedics uh, met us there on the island, but uh, you know, unfortunately, um, yeah, Steve uh, couldn't, didn't couldn't be saved. Yeah. No. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, very, 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 uh, very sad day. Yeah. So basically, Brian, um, at that point, Steve had passed away. You, you, yeah. You so, that, um, so, um, yeah, certainly the. Paramedics flew in and, and confirmed that yeah he um, passed away and we, we he couldn't be saved and um, so I remember um, standing on the beach there it was just Kate myself and and the cameraman Justin and uh, and I remember um, turning to the guys and saying you know our, our lives are now changed forever which they were yeah yeah when when you saw him when he came out of the water I suppose 
Did you talk to him? Did you have a chance to talk to him? Was he oh, was for he? sure, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah I, um, yeah, I was um, reassuring him and um, yeah. and, uh, and and sort of comforting him and saying, yeah. you're, you're good, we've, we've got you, we'll, um, you know, you're in good hands now. And, and you know, Kate and I had done, you know, through our, our dive master training, you know, all the first aid courses that we, um, you know, could possibly do advanced uh, CPR, resus. We'd done, yeah, trauma um, first aid, but um, but sadly the the injury that he sustained. Um, you know, we talked to surgeons after, and they said that if that happened on the operating table, that you know the best surgeons couldn't couldn't have saved him. So, uh, yeah, sadly it was um, yeah it's uh, too great an injury to uh, to recover from. Yeah. I don't want to dig it apart and pull it apart any further than that. And so, you know, you lost a friend and, and, a, and a very, very close colleague after all those years, um, and and you know, it changed your life forever. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that. And, and you know, I've heard the story a little bit before, but not in that sort of detail. So, thanks for sharing that with 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 our audience. Hey, um, you were saying a while ago that obviously that day profoundly changed your life in terms of moving forward, um, and. Um, when you say profoundly changed your life, look, what what was different about going forward with you? What happened from that point? Not 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 that day, but from that point in times you, to your, your well, life. Well, I guess for the first time in my life, um, I'd sort of lost somebody um, very very close to me, someone who I sort of considered as a, a big brother or a mentor, or a father figure. Um, he he sort of took me under his wing and sort of you know, trained me up, and uh, we spent so much time together as boss and colleague but also as really good mates all all the mornings that we'd spent sort of surfing together and all the trips we'd done overseas mm. and adventures that we'd shared and and time we'd spent together we, you know we were very very close he was um i feel like he was um you know one of my closest friends and uh and so just to to lose him all, all of a sudden was was a, a massive shock a massive sort of impact to my life and i noticed that it had a strange effect on a lot of the other people around him. Some people um, just completely lost the plot and I guess um, that sort of um, defined the rest of their lives. But um, I, I sort of said to myself that even though this was like a, you know, one of the biggest impacts that ever happened in my life, I wasn't going to let this sort of define the rest of my life. And um, I guess when I was working with Steve because our life was so um, intrepid. I mean, we'd go away for months and months yes, yeah. on Croc One. And even when we were back at home, we were doing projects, we were flying overseas. I didn't even entertain the idea of of, uh, of, of having um, uh, a child. And it's something that I'd always wanted um, in my life. Ever since I was a very young man, I've always wanted to have, have a family but I kind of um, wanted to, to do it when the time was right. And so um, I guess after Steve um, passed away, a couple of years later, um, young Rani, our daughter, came along. So, you know, out of um, death, I guess, came, came life in that, um, um, I guess, when, yeah, Steve had passed away, we could finally sort of draw breath and um, take stock of our life and, and definitely, um, yeah, look at sort of starting a, a family of our own even though um our life was still um quite quite busy but it just didn't have that same intensity when uh when steve was alive yeah um and having kate <clears throat> beside you and with you to that period of time 
was obviously a good thing in terms of your your bonding, your life. That's right. It was, um, you know, for um, in terms of support, um, because Kay and I um, experienced the you know the whole um, incident together. Yeah, you know, we were able to uh, to comfort each other and. We didn't have to sort of explain to each other, oh, yes. what year weren't there, you don't know what sort of happened because we were both there. We both went through the whole, um, you know, process and, and you know, we were able to be there for for each other and, and, and help each other through that, that, you know, incredibly difficult time. Yeah. And I say being isolated in anywhere for an incident, be it just a major, minor incident or a major incident, being isolated up front would be difficult anyway in itself you know it was so uh, basically we um um had to leave low isles in crockman come back to port douglas um and go down to cairns because we had to have um, police interviews about about the whole process then um unfortunately we had to get back on the boat and go back out to the um the islands and, and finish off Filming some of the, some of the segments for that documentary because it was. Um, oh, you um, went back and filmed. We went back and yeah, spent another couple of days just um, filming. Um, uh, yeah, the the some parts of the documentary that they could never, um, I guess, um, redo over again because um, Fleet um, wouldn't have been there or, or Dr. Jamie Seymour. So, is it fair to say at that point you had to step up? You had to step up and and and, and we did take yeah. control of what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Kate was um, was really seriously struggling and um and basically just you know wanted to, to sort of go home right then and there and i was of, of the same um same opinion but um i guess um mm. we kind of felt that we sort of owed it to steve to yes see his work through and um yeah and i mean even though the um the documentary was called ocean's deadliest it was um it was sort of the whole uh, premise was to dispel a lot of the you know, the myths um, and stigma about a lot of these deadly animals, and to explain about how they operate and how to avoid um, you know, conflict with them. So, um, yeah, so we, we did. We went out there. We um, we filmed for another couple of days, and then then we, we flew home to our um, to yeah our, our parents, our families. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, following that 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 incident, then that that um, part of your life, Ronnie Ronnie was born. Few years later, yeah, that's and you right. start you started working at Australia Zoo, didn't you? For we did, how yeah, many years beyond 06. Um, so Steve passed away in two thousand and six, and uh, I was there till the end of two thousand eleven. Yeah, okay. And 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 you were working on Croc One, the same sort of work you were doing, was it? Yeah, yeah, very similar. So um, after Steve um, passed away, I guess um, I had to sort of take on um, a lot of the roles that he did in in, in the past. So. Um, I was then um, in, in charge of overseeing the crocodile research. Um, the crocodile rescues um, certainly continued, so we did uh, missions to um, to Cambodia, over to Sumatra. Um, yeah, we did um, yeah, crocodile research then in, in Cape York on the Steve Irwin Wildlife Reserve. Took place every year after um, um, after Steve's, Steve's passing. So yeah, we had yeah. had yeah a lot of, a lot of work still. Um, yeah, and who was so Wes was obviously the person who was who was the um overseeing that with you he was um he was um given that he was a director of australia zoo he was sort of more um overseeing and running australia zoo right and, yeah and, okay. uh, and myself and, and, and the crocodile team that we were then um running things um yeah in, in the bush and doing the research yeah 
What was different about going forward? What was different? Obviously, Steve wasn't there, but what was different? Obviously, you knew you knew how he worked. You knew what he expected. You knew what he was on about. You knew the passion. You knew the outcome. Well, I guess we were very, very lucky with Steve in that um, a lot of a lot of people, researchers or scientists or um, people that really excel in their field, um, don't share their knowledge. And um, Steve was was the complete opposite. He um, he shared everything that he knew he would sort of um would pass on to us so um, um and i guess the thing is we did so much crocodile um research in those few years prior to um steve passing that um we'd, we'd got all our systems down down pat so it didn't mm. matter whether we we're catching it an eight foot crocodile or a 17 foot crocodile we did the same the same things we did it nice and safe we tied up the crocodile's jaws we Use you know plenty of plenty of ropes and and, and um, we just we did it safe so um, yeah you know, we nobody was was ever going to get like seriously injured when we we're doing that sort of work so and that that was something that Steve wanted as well like he wanted you know to, to do this research to learn to study the animals and make sure the animals weren't going to get hurt or the people around them yeah so you you were really had to diversify your work really from land base and water base that's right um, yeah and um become jack of all trades more so and and, and then keep exactly what, what the what the process is going to be yeah exactly the other thing too is when i um when i got back to australia zoo after um our first big year being away on croc one I mentioned there was a six six month period where, where we were away when i got back to australia zoo steve said what do you want to do now because you know you can't sort of um manage the crocodile department when you're only here for six months of the year and uh, I said to him, well, I want to start a, um, a wildlife rescue unit because Australia Zoo was always very heavily involved in, in rescuing you know, native wildlife that was um, in, in peril in our region. People would ring up all the time, oh, there's a, a snake in my house or oh, there's a kangaroo that's hit on the road or there's an emu running down the highway. So we would always go and respond to those um, situations. And given that the region was growing so in- intensely, the pressure on our um, uh, wildlife from marine life to to birds to to reptiles mm. to mammals was um was increasing every year so so um i formed a um a, a rescue unit at australia zoo and that's what um kate and i were very very heavily involved in when we weren't working away on, on right. croc one yeah and even when we were back um running the rescue unit we'd use croc one to go and rescue whales or sea turtles or yeah. dolphins or yeah. dugongs or anything that you know that was um you know marine related yeah so you really were heavily involved in, in australia zoo and, and working with the teams there right through for quite some years after that that's right and, and i guess that's that's what um what set me um up for um, starting my own business, saltwater ecology, because we did mm. so much um, work with koalas, you know, the climbing and the and the um, and the, the, the capturing and the rescuing and, and, and marine life like dugongs, dolphins, whales. Um, I guess saltwater um, ecology was just a product of, of all those yeah. years um, in the rescue unit. So when did you leave Australia Zoo? I left um, at the end of uh, two thousand eleven. Big gangway party, was it? <laughs> no, not really. No, I guess. Um, I mean, things had changed dramatically since um, since Steve's um, passing. Um, yeah, I I guess uh, when when Steve was um, was there at the, the the helm, he was the glue that that kept um, kept the um, yeah the team together, and um, yeah, any sort of smaller um, uh, skirmishes or disturbances, he'd he'd um, yeah deal with. 
deal with very very quickly and, and efficiently and it was um yeah it, it was um amazing to sort of see everybody just sort of um, the respect that they had for him and uh and i guess unfortunately after sort of steve um passed away different people sort of came into into power at uh you know in the more managerial positions at, at australia zoo and um and I certainly didn't didn't agree with with some of the directions that um, I was being um, being um, asked to undertake, and uh, yeah, so I guess the best thing that I could have done back then was was to leave, which I did. Yep, you left there. I left. Yep. And um, post of leaving, you decided to you know, like I say, the product of a new business, which is saltwater ecology. Now that's right. Yeah. Yep. And um, and with that business. Um, which is quite diverse, isn't it? And you, you'll do anything really in terms of your, yeah. Your, well, your I guess background. I'm incredibly lucky because when I started working at the the Queensland Reptile Park in 1995, it was a small little wildlife park. And back then, if you wanted to work with animals, you'd work at uh, on a cattle property or you'd work you know, in a zoological facility or a wildlife park. But now these days, there's um, there's so many um, other avenues to, to pursue. Um, you know, if you love animals, and yeah, and you have had the skills to be able to you know, work with, with sort of certain animals. So I'm very very lucky, and um, and and people always ask me, oh well, how do you get paid? Well, um, you know, um, there's a lot of money that's sort of um, been thrown towards ko- koala for you know. Um, Given that, given that they're an endangered species yes. now, they're, they're listed yeah. as, as vulnerable on the EPBC Act. Um, so, um, whenever they're, they're you know, putting in new infrastructure, if they're going through koala habitat, they need to you know, be looking seriously at um, managing the populations. Same with sawfish. Um, you know, in, in Cape York, there's there's mining companies that want to expand their mining operations in and around the, these regions where sawfish inhabit. So. If they want to want to do that, they have to put the money into the into the scientific research to find out where they where they are you know are going and um, mm-hmm. and then they need people that can go and and physically restrain a 16 foot sawfish and and put it put a tracker on it and it's amazing it's amazing because in the end of the day <clears throat> everything we do is physical isn't it like it is someone's got to go and get the animal yep. go and climb that tree go and track it yep. go and um move it tag it um each individual species um it's a physical job, isn't it? So that's know. right. Yeah, and I guess that's where I'm lucky um, to, you know, to be able to have that, that set of skills that I can sort of, you know, go go and um, and and do that. You mentioned in the last episode, earlier this episode, some stage. I think we talked about when you first went onto the farm. You'd sort of snake and run. You'd run. You'd run away from the snake straight away. But these days, you. Catch snakes, would you? Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, when, when I worked at, at Australia Zoo, we, we had had no choice because the um, the um, yeah the locals would ring us up all the time and and, uh, and ask us for help. But the difference was when I grew up down in Victoria, the only snakes that were around were uh, eastern browns, tiger snakes, and and red belly black snakes, and copperheads, which are all highly venomous. So, yeah, I had a very very healthy. Um, respect and, and, and fear of, uh, of of venomous snakes and uh, and always sort of kept them at, at arm's length. But when I moved into southeast Queensland, in our region there's, um, there's say, about 30 different types of snakes. Now, 10 of those are completely harmless, 10 of them are mildly venomous, and 10 of them are highly venomous. So um, so when I first started working at Australia Zoo, Wes and Steve, they, they um, trained me first how to identify uh, what was what. And um, and so then I started um, going and, and, um, and working with, with non-venomous snakes and pythons, learning how to handle them safely without getting bitten. And even if you did get bitten by a python or a tree snake, you just had a little bit of a nip, you, you weren't going to um, you know, lose your life. 
And then after you sort of get your handling skills with the non-venomous stuff, then then they started training me to deal with the, with the more venomous stuff. So I was really lucky to um, you know for those guys to be able to you know take me under their wing and and train me you know how to um, how to deal with wildlife. And that's how um, I managed to get on my skills over the years. And I mean I didn't know how to catch an emu or or you know toss a big eastern grey kangaroo or <laughs> you know catch a, a koala like yeah. Steve taught me all that sort of stuff and. And uh, he had to learn himself over all those years. And yes, I guess yes. that's why his whole body was covered in, in scars because it was <laughs> trial and error. <laughs> you were saying, yeah, you did talk back about your first trip away, the croc research with Steve. And, you know, you just had to just find, learn your way. He was, yes, he was, right. he was, he was at the forefront, the frontier of looking at, you know, this species. So, yeah, that's right. Back then, and these days, it's all changed. Um, and today, yeah, so like your business is is, is, is pumping along, and then, and you like I said before, you're pretty busy, and um and and yeah, so I, I suppose um we're listening to um Brian o, Brian Coulter who who runs his um business called Saltwater Ecology, and we're just um talking about his life um with Australia Zoo, and um and right up till his um his, his new business, which um is probably say four years old now, so I wouldn't say it's new. Yeah. Yes. Um, been well established and um, lives here on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. And um, if you're looking to um, listen to, to more about to see see more about Brino, you can um, check him out on the Instagram page at Saltwater Ecology. Um, follow him there. Any questions you have, you can always um, pop us up on the podcast at um, Pray for Your World and um, ask any questions. And um, if you want to follow us on our Facebook page, likewise. So, Brino, thank you very much for all your your um, sharing us those stories no worries Damo. intimate as they were and um i think everyone has a has a story to tell but i think your story is interesting in terms of um how things um have evolved in terms of looking after our environment and then looking after our our um our people and, and um going forward so thanks mate Cheers, Damo. Th- thank you that's a wrap guys